Coming up, I'm going to show you a bit of a past conversation I had with David Goggins, the author of Can't Hurt Me, on why you need to run towards your fear. Then we're going to look, is there a formula for developing grit? I think there is. It's up next. Welcome to the Ken Coleman Show, where our goal is for you to grow personally so that you can advance professionally to live the life of meaning that you desire. So let's get to it. So uh, for many, many years here at Ramsey Solutions, I've been able to, through a variety of platforms and shows, interview some of the best and brightest people in the world. And, uh, you know, I told the team recently, I want to go back and pull some of this stuff because it just it just needs to be out there. And David Goggins, uh, a former Navy SEAL who has gone on to become really a sensation uh, in the personal growth space, uh, his book Can't Hurt Me continues to be a, a perennial bestseller, uh, an unbelievable story. And I had the opportunity when I was hosting the Entree Leadership Podcast, still a, a really great leadership podcast as a part of our Ramsey Solutions Network. And 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 so we've pulled um, uh, almost six minutes of that conversation. And I think it really sets the tone for what we're going to talk about today. This idea that grit, stick-to-itiveness, perseverance, we could define it so many different ways, is the X factor between success and mediocrity. A life of regret versus a life that you reminisce about. The factor, the X factor is grit. I'm going to make my case on that today. But first, let's dive in and talk about a guy who remade himself who ate grit for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Here is some of my conversation with David Goggins. The most important conversation you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. You wake up with it. You walk around with it. Eventually, you'll act on it. Mm -hmm. And my self-talk was the most disgusting self-talk of all time. Mm. So the sewer of my mind, like I said, you have to go back in there and fix things. A lot of us are afraid, like right now, 20 years ago, you wouldn't find me on this show. I was too embarrassed to tell you I stuttered, Mm -hmm. I lied, Mm -hmm. all these different things, getting beat up, getting bullied, whatever happened. But that's where the true transformation starts to happen. When you can look at people, anybody, thousands of people, one person and say, hey, this is who I am. And this is where I have to fix myself. Mm -hmm. And this is where it really happened. I thought it happened when I was in, you know, 19, 18 years old trying to pass this military test, right. it happened here when I was almost 300 pounds spraying for cockroaches, mm. making $1,000 a month. Mm. And, you know, people called me dumb. People, my dad called me so many things, it's not even funny. Mm. Being beat just stripped me of all self-esteem. This is when I realized I was alone mm. on this earth. Yeah. I have God alone on this earth, and I have to fix everything. So this is where I started to develop an indestructible mental toolbox. Okay. So I came home one night after spraying for cockroaches at Ecolab, and literally I was praying at Steak and Shake, and I would go across the street to 7-Eleven. I had a 45-minute commute home. So I worked from 11 o'clock at night to 7 o'clock in the morning. Okay. I had a 45-minute commute home, and my, my stop would be, you know, Steak and Shake, Chuck and Milkshake, across the street, 7-Eleven, box of mini chocolate donuts and I would eat that on the way home. Yeah, sure. When I come home, I turn the TV on. I take my shake because the box of donuts were, I mean, they were killed. Oh yeah. I kill those. Yeah. Go back to the back, turn the, you know, turn the TV on and take a shower. 
listening to the TV while I'm taking a shower. This day, I heard these guys on the TV talking about Navy SEAL, toughest, class 224. So I heard stuff about Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the baddest of the baddest. Yeah. And I'm, so I come out, and I'm watching this show while I'm drinking my shake. And when you're watching the show of guys who are putting out there, and they're quitting, quitting left and right. Oh, sure. Just can't handle it. They're going through hell week. They show them going through first phase, second phase, third phase, and they're dropping like flies. I looked in this one guy's eyes who was ringing the bell to quit, to put his helmet down out of Navy SEAL training, and I saw myself. And I saw what everybody said I was going to be, which was nothing. What I said I was going to be, that, that, that conversation you have, mm-hmm. that's who I was. So that's why I lied to people to tell them a different version of the truth. Sure. I had to make all those lies reality. Mm. I had to make them real. I had, I had to become a real person. So that's when I put in my mind that I'm going to go to the toughest military training on the planet. Mm. And where it has the most water, the thing I was scared of the most, mm-hmm. I had to go back. So a lot of us run away from our fears. Sure. And we box ourselves in mm-hmm. to a, a lifestyle of this is all we can do. Because right. I'm afraid of everything outside this box. Yeah. So I'm comfortable inside this box. I jumped the box. Oh, you did, yeah. For the first time in my life. Mentally, I jumped the yeah. box and said, hey, I, I, I got to come out here and play. Well, what's interesting to me, and I want to talk about this for a second, because you made a real decision. You want to talk about jumping in the fire that night because you're 297 pounds. Right. So there's a lot of hard work that has to be done just to get you ready. The <laughs> if you can task. be ready. That's right. To take on the SEAL training. That's right. So there was a lot of hard work. I want to point that out to our listeners <laughs> and our viewers, just to get yourself to a point where you can do what it is you set out to do. And the funny thing about that's not even funny at all. There's a good chance I might not even make it right. through Navy. So I... I had to lose 106 pounds in less than three months. Which is insane. Due to my age, due to prior service, due to the program we're shutting down that I tried to get into, the special program I was mm-hmm. trying to get into. I called up recruiters for two weeks, and every recruiter was like, hey, you know what? You No, no. Of course, yeah. One recruiter named Steven Saljo, who's in my book. I talk about him a lot. Well, not a lot, just in that chapter. He told me just to come in, and uh, he gave me a shot. So basically, I had to lose 106 pounds in less than three months. And that journey alone was very difficult. The, the amount of ups and downs, the amount, oh. of, the, the amount of mornings I would wake up and just look at my shoes. Because my first run was a quarter mile. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be four miles. Right. And I walked home right. and cried on my couch. Sure. Wow. So it but was. Uh, here's what I want people to hear. Sometimes, because it, it is intimidating. You just talked about it, how intimidating and how difficult right. the mountain was just to get a chance. Afraid. Yeah. Afraid. Ter- terrible fear. Yes. Yet you made a decision. It is as simple as us making a decision, I'm going to do this no matter what. Is that essentially what happened that night in the shower? You know what? It was over a period of time that voice became haunting. When I was younger, I could get away from it a little bit. Right. When it becomes something that steady just pecks at you. Yeah. All day long, mm-hmm. no matter what you're doing. Like if I was talking to you back mm-hmm. then, I was 300 pounds. Sure. I could be talking to you in this voice at the same time. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? You're a loser. Where, where are you going, man? This, mm-hmm. this is what you could do your whole life. Right. That's just a bit of my conversation with David Goggins. You could get the entire uh, conversation on the Entree Leadership Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search that. 
Um, but th- th- this is something that I wanted to share because this is a guy who who completely remade his body and then remade his life all through a decision to say that everything that's happened in my past, abuse, verbal, physical abuse, uh, being made fun of, critiques, you know, failing uh, just constantly in his childhood, and getting to a point where he says, I'm going to try something extreme. I'm, and, and, and not everybody's going to do this. So today, I'm not in any way saying that you need to develop uh, some sort of super grit today and decide to go become a Navy SEAL. That's not the message. The message is, though, uh, throughout this, cup, this, this, this piece of the conversation that, that we are the voice that we listen to most. And until we figure out how to deal with that voice and change that voice and then listen to that new voice, we're going to be stuck. Because here's a guy who was able to lose that kind of weight, 106 pounds, and then go into the SEAL week. And the rest of his story is unbelievable. You need to get Can't Hurt Me. I don't have time to unpack it. Uh, but there were there were two things that, that I want you to get. The first I just mentioned, the voice, here's what I wrote down as I was listening to that myself and revisiting the conversation. The voice we listen to the most is our own. So what is that voice? Have we drowned it out? We just listened to it so much that it's become a part of us? Or are we going to go back and listen to it critically today? What did I say to myself today? How did I say it? How long have I been saying that? Is that true? Is that what I want to be true? What do I want to change? And then the second thing that I take out of this is what he said. He developed a mental toolbox. And and I sit here and I think, you know, I've got a toolbox at home and I've got a variety of tools that do basic things. But that's just kind of on the shelf in case of emergency or in case of need, as opposed to if I was doing some very specific mechanical or or uh, manual labor some type of construction or carpentry work or whatever plumbing uh, there are specific tools for a specific mission or outcome and i think we've got to get to a point where we go if our voice is the one we listen to most we're gonna have to create a toolbox of tools mental hacks mental facts that allow us to constantly keep our eye on the ball to be the best version of ourselves. And, and, and so just like you've got a saw and a hammer or whatever, you're going to have to figure out what are those tools that I use to focus on to allow myself to think properly and thus act strategically. Great, great takeaway. All right, coming up next. Um, very interesting data. Is grit something you can develop and how do you do it we'll break it down next. hey i want you to stop right now and just listen to this i want you to imagine life four months from now but you're actually making a starting salary of $75,000. Bethel Tech has a front-end web development micro-credential that you can earn in just 15 weeks for only $5,000. Coding skills are in high demand right now, and you learn them in less than four months. 
So whether you want to level up your career and salary or you've always wanted to be in tech, you can get started on Bethel Tech's front-end web development micro-credential or a data science micro-credential, another hot field. Now's the time. Let's go. The next class actually is right around the corner. March 18th is when it starts, and Bethel Tech is going to offer you, as a Ken Coleman Show listener, 10% off. So go to BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman for details. Terms and conditions apply. What is grit? How does it help us grow and advance? How, how does it help us grow personally and advance professionally? going to break that down for you, and I think you can develop it as well. But first, if you're watching via YouTube, uh, help us grow, would you? And you can do that by subscribing to our channel, liking the video with a thumbs up that you're watching and sharing. And then via podcast, if you would give us a follow and a five-star review and share as well, we would be grateful. Okay, uh, let's look at uh, some research on grit, shall we? Uh, Angela Duckworth is probably the foremost grit expert. I highly recommend her book. Uh, if you'd like to check that out. Uh, but there's some people that kind of, when she, when she came out with her book, um, there's some people that doubted it, you know, and kind of like, well, I'm going to poke some holes in this. And that's what people do, right? And, uh, and and then some people said, you know what, let's let's dive into this, right? Let, let's actually do some some robust research. And, and let's see what we find. Uh, by the way, her book is Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. I want to give that the full, because it's a fabulous book. It's must read. So research was done on 11,000-plus military cadets at West Point, the United States Military Academy, and it was over a four-year period. So this is no Johnny-come-lately sample size. You're talking about 11,000 cadets over a four-year period at the United States Military Academy. Academy. And it was the idea of how does grit play into their academic success? Because after all, they are there to be trained to become officers in the United States Army. Okay, So they, they came to it and they were looking at grit's importance and they did it by measuring three attributes. The cadet's cognitive ability. This is the ability to reason, to plan, to solve problems, to think abstractly to comprehend complex ideas, learn quickly, right? So your basic cognitive skill sets. Then they looked at the physical ability, their their speed, their strength. Uh, their, their, in other words, their, their physical capabilities. And then they looked at grit and the way they defined it. Uh, they took, you know, Angela Duckworth's definition, passion and perseverance for long-term goals of personal significance. Okay. Uh, the research was published in the, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, for those of you that want to dig into this some more. And so here's what they found. They they found uh, that when cadets completed a 12-point test known as the GRIT scale in their first week of training, uh, they saw that the cadets' data on initiation, starting something, completion, graduation, and grade point averages um, were all affected, and even their physical performance, obviously, were affected by grit. And so they came away with, duh, exactly what Angela Duckworth asserted, that grit 
enables us to keep performing when the going gets tough. Okay. And, and so they, they walked away and the, the, the message is clear. The environment and experience you have as a child plays a lot into how much grit you have. More on that in a second. Also, that talent is not enough. Talent's not enough. That someone with talent, high levels of talent, but low levels of grit, they're not going to have as much of a chance of success. Why? Either complete frustration, which causes them to quit, or distraction, which causes them to quit, right? Because when, when you hit hurdles in life, obstacles in life, it either turns into distraction or frustration, you know? And these are just different levels of emotion that just from my own life. When I run into a challenge, if I don't have the right amount of grit, I'm going to either get distracted because I go, well, this seems to be a little bit too difficult. There's probably something else over here that, oh, shiny object, and then boom, I go over here, right? Or I get real levels of frustration and say, I can't do this, I'm done, right? Which is probably what happens to me most of the time on a golf course, right? So that then asks the question, or it presents a question, if I don't have enough grit, or a child does not have enough grit, can grit be developed? In other words, can a person build that muscle of grit with intentionality? And then, can a parent, can a coach, can a teacher, can they promote the development of grit? I think it's an interesting question and an important question. Now, back to what we know in the findings that a child, their their childhood and adolescence, the the environment, so what was life like in the home, okay? So that's their environment parents, the voices, that's environment. And then what were their experience? Th- sporting teams, school, where they're living their life outside of their core environment of the home, that's experience. So environment and experience obviously has a huge impact on how much grit you have. So in other words, we see from Lots of data, I've read this recently, that dyslexic children become very resilient adults. Uh, you could you could fill in the blank there. You know, kids that come up in an abusive home, if they can weather it long enough to get healthy, on the other side of it, tremendous resilience many times as adults. That's not a silver bullet here. But the idea is that anyone who survives hardship has the elements of grit has enough grit to thrive because it is in the surviving that you develop what you need to be thriving. And that is persistence, perseverance. I'm not going to quit. You can't keep a good man down, things like that. Right? So I did some more research. I'm just going to give this to you really quick. Here's how you can develop grit or how your kid can develop grit or how your student can develop grit, or how the player on your team leaders can develop grit, and of course, how we can develop grit. Because I think there is a combination of four things that 
Think of it as a greenhouse. You do these four things, and the greenhouse has the right environment for a plant to grow healthy. And if you want to grow your grit, I think there's four things you do. One is you got to love. Two, you got to try. Three, you got to prove. And four, you got to believe. Let me break those down really quickly. You got to love. There has got to be a love of something, a passion. A passion. Like it's it's almost painful because you love it so much you are willing to endure pain. Every parent knows what I'm talking about. You will go through pain to protect your kid. You will go through pain to protect your spouse, right? Anybody who's gets serious about working out or uh, if you ever had an injury and you had to do physical therapy, let me tell you something. You better have some passion to get back out on the court. You see these NFL athletes recover quickly. You look at Aaron Rodgers. This guy, 39 this last year. Great example. Blows his ace, blows his uh, uh, Achilles tendon. First game. And the guy's 39. He's ancient for the NFL. What happens? He's almost ready to go at the end of the year. In fact, you can make the case that he would have played if the Jets made the playoffs. What, what's going on there? Yes, he's got some physical abilities. Yes, maybe he heals quickly, but there's also an enormous amount of grit, and it came from passion. That dude wants to keep playing football. He doesn't need to make another cent the rest of his life. He's got crazy money. Why did Aaron Rodgers work so hard in physical therapy to recover so quickly? This is the reason. you got to have love. He loves the game. Two, got to try. Once Aaron Rodgers knows I love the game and I gotta, I I I, I gotta try, I gotta get after it in physical therapy. Three, you, you gotta prove. You gotta prove it. At some point after the trying, this is all the practice. So grits developed through. I love this idea. I want to be this. I want to do this. And now I'm gonna try it. And and I'm gonna try it long enough. And I'm gonna practice long enough that I'm gonna prove that I can do it to myself and others, and then finally got to believe this is hope. If I stay with it and I keep proving it, it's going to happen. You got to love. You got to try. You got to prove it. You got to believe that it's worth it. You have those four elements, and you have developed a stew that will give you a ton of grit and make you truly unstoppable. Think about it. Grow your grit. That's how you do it. So, when did I realize that I had some grit? I'm just thinking about this. I'm thinking about my own personal journey. And uh, I played a lot of sports as a kid. And uh, and I think that that really helped me develop grit. I, I had a dad who, you know, I, I remember one of the first times I heard this phrase. Winners never quit, quitters never win. He's barking at me. I was playing a game of one-on-one basketball, Nathan, in my driveway. And I'm playing against my best pal who was a year older than me. And not only was he a year older than me, he was probably six inches taller than me because I was always the shortest kid. By the way, I think me being the little short little guy all the time in sports also helped me develop grit. Okay, But I'm playing this game one-on-one. 
And uh, he's my best pal, and I want to beat him because I'm probably one of the most competitive people on the planet. I hate to lose with a deep abiding passion. And so I'm playing my buddy in one-on-one, and and if you've ever played basketball one-on-one with somebody bigger than you, it can get real frustrating quick. Number one, he's quicker than me, faster than me, so I couldn't get around him. So that was frustrating. And and not only that, Nathan, he was he was blanketing me with some serious defense. You know what I'm talking about? I couldn't get a shot off. So after about the third or fourth time you try to get a shot off and he literally stuffs it, you can't even get the ball in the air. Can I just tell those of you that never play basketball, it's really frustrating. And so unbeknownst to me, my dad was cutting the grass, you know, in the yard and I'm over on the side of the house, but he was, he could see us playing and I really wasn't realizing because he's mowing the grass, you know, I'm thinking he's paying attention to the yard, but he's also watching me. And there was a point where, and I, I don't remember the specific details, but I remember getting really frustrated and uh, him blocking a shot and it came back to me and I just stopped the play. And I remember slamming the basketball down in anger. And it was in that moment that he must have cut off the, the lawnmower and I'll never remember, I'll never forget him barking across the way at me, right? Hey, winners never quit, quitters never win, and Coleman's don't quit, and Get back in, you know, and he kind of just, you know, I was embarrassed now, probably mad at my dad, mad at my best friend. It was not a good day for me. It was a bad day. Here's the point. Very early on, my dad, because I love playing sports, he really drilled that into me that you just don't quit. You're getting beat 10 to nothing. You play to the end of the game, you know, whatever that is. And so that was modeled for me um, and 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 instilled in me and and honestly enforced uh, even in a little one-on-one basketball game, my dad was essentially saying, you don't quit, finish the game. All right, so that was an early level of grit, but I want to fast forward to a seat in my life where I am in my early 30s, and I'm very unhappy professionally, not doing anything that excited me. I was just doing what I could do or at least thought I could do must do to pay the bills and I was I was really wondering what was what was the path after for years feeling like I was going to go one direction and all of a sudden I knew that wasn't the direction but I didn't have a lot of clarity that which direction am I supposed to go and I'm early 30s and I got three babies and I got a lot of responsibilities and I feel like a real loser and it was a really tough tough time and we, we opened up the show today talking about mental toughness. We talked about, you know, this idea of the voice you listen to most is yours. And the voice in my head was telling me that I had wasted a lot of time in my life. And I was behind. And it was really discouraging. Young 30s feeling like 40 was just literally moments away. And that was going to further cement the fact that I had not achieved what I felt I should achieve. So fast forward to, I begin the, the process of life mapping, which leads to a lot of the stuff I teach today. But folks, I'm, I'm a miserable sack of crap. I'm just down and depressed. I think I'm a loser. I think I've missed my calling. It's just a really bad season of my life, but I'm just kind of going, I, I, I've not met, I've not, I've not accomplished much at all. And, and I'm, I'm wasting. And so as I go into the life mapping, I begin to see patterns and begin to get some ideas and and some potential pathways, and that's when broadcasting presents itself. But the problem is I didn't go to college for it. I don't have a degree. I don't have any experience. 
and I got three little kids and a wife and a dog to take care of. How in the world am I going to do this? Very intimidating. Some of you today are feeling this. General idea, general direction. Yeah, I, I kind of would like to climb this mountain, but it feels like it's an impossible mountain to climb. I'm not going to get there. That is a really heavy weight. It's debilitating. It sucks the soul out of your chest. I've been there. Well, so I get this idea. I just need to make something happen. So I come up with the idea that I should try to do some talk radio to learn the discipline of radio, which may help me get into television. And so through a series of relationships, I get an opportunity to pay my way onto a local station. That's where I met Joe Hankin, who still sits in the booth today. Joe was my first engineer, and I was paying $250 every Saturday for one hour. And I remember when they offered it to me, I went, oh, I'd love to do it. But deep down, I was like, crap, that's a thousand bucks a month. And you know those pesky uh, months with five Saturdays, Joe? Yeah, that's 1250. That was a lot of change. A lot of cheddar, as the kids may say. I don't think they ever said that. The point is this, is that here I am facing this expenditure that I'm having to come up with on my own. I'm not making great money. It's a real sacrifice financially for us. We had to change the budget. And I'm spending, I'm looking at my wife going, babe, I'm going to blow a thousand bucks a month on an exercise, which is what it was. Can I learn how to do radio? Now, Joe will tell you, I'd never done radio before as it related to hosting. I'd been on the radio a few times, little small piddly things, but here I am now hosting a show. And I wasn't good, and I had to learn how to do it. How do you get in? How do you get out of a break? You know, how do you how do you give a coherent thought? You know, in, in a, a small window of time, all that stuff had to be developed. But what was going on behind the scenes is I'm as I'm dealing with: Am I spending money that I shouldn't spend? Am I wasting money? Then it became: Am I wasting time? Am I wasting time? Because here's what happened: the show was at two o'clock. It was forty five minutes away. So I would, I would literally leave at about 11 a.m. on a Saturday morning, leave my three babies under the age of three, my poor wife, she's got all of them, and I'm going to drive up, and I'm going to spend about two hours preparing because I was so freaking nervous and didn't know what I was doing. I had to spend time preparing. So then I do the show from two to three, and then it's 45 minutes home. So I'm gone from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. every Saturday for a year. Now, Nothing against my my former station. I love it. But no one, I don't care how big the station, no one's listening on Saturdays. Your audience is really small. I wasn't getting people calling in. And so here I am going, I am getting good experience, and I got better week after week. I got better. I really did. I worked hard. Joe will tell you I worked my butt off. I prepared for that show like it was the biggest show in the world because I had to. I didn't know what to do back then. And... There were times where I was driving to the station before the show and times when I was driving home going, what am I doing? This is a complete and utter waste of time. Nobody's listening. Nobody's paying attention. I'm blowing $1,000 a month or more. And on top of that, I'm not seeing my kids for the most of a Saturday. And that's stressing my wife out because... 
she's got them all day. She didn't get any kind of break. It was a big sacrifice, not just for me, but for Stacy. And I began to wonder, am I now wasting time again? Have I wasted more time? Here I've gone on this silly, stupid path that's not yielding anything at all. And there were multiple times that I wanted to quit because the voice was just saying, hey, dude, you can do way better with your time, make way more money, spend more time with your wife and kids. Let it go, man. Your boat, it didn't come in or it's already sailed. All the time I had this thought. And I had to get to a point where I went back to what I talked about and I realized, you know what? I love broadcasting. I love the idea of communicating to people to help them. And I'm I'm trying and I'm getting better and I'm starting to prove that I can do this. I know I can do it. But I got to believe that there's a bigger story. And I didn't have that formula back then, but I just gutted it out because I knew that I had what it took as long as I stayed in the game. And that's how you develop grit. That's how you develop mental toughness. You have to shed the thoughts. You have to shed all of the thoughts. You got to just put them away. Get rid of them. Delete them. Burn them. You pick the analogy. You have to stay focused on the belief part. Do I believe that I have what it takes? Do I believe that my opportunity will come if I stick with it? And that's where grit comes. And that's where grit guarantees success. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.